so delighted to be able to welcome her. Uh, she's going to speak to us a little bit first about this program, uh, but would you first wel uh, join me in welcoming her, you know. Thank you so much for the invitation. Uh, I will say a few words about this program because you might be thinking, um, okay, this Polish person, clearly with an accent, is going to tell us things about American diversity. How come? So <laughs> I will first start with a few sentences about the, the pipe organ, its history and music. It is definitely one of the oldest instruments uh, that is out there. It's actually older than Christianity when you think about it because hydrolysis, about a f one of the first uh, instruments, was about three uh, uh, centuries before Christ. Uh, the pipe organ and its culture is a quite an expensive art, kind of like opera or theater, have strived in the times of prosperity and then have fallen uh, during the times of political or religious unrest. Uh, and pipe organ, uh, depending how you look at it, but pipe organ can be seen as an instrument of privilege. And why is that? Well, until the Industrial Revolution and the rise of technology, it was one of the most impressive and most intricate human inventions. Uh, if you think, just picture a European instrument, actually you don't have to really picture that far, I just was at your chapel, uh, a university chapel, I mean, this is it, right? Um, uh, this is a large, splendid, luxurious-looking organ. Most of those organs have been built to the glory of God by faithful artists and craftsmen, but also as a point of pride, a depiction of technical and economical prowess during the times of political economic prosperity. So because to build an organ, it requires a lot of resources, institutional or governmental support, endowments, and then we can move on to kings and dukes and popes and bishops and so on, and generous donors, etc., etc. And as it is with the political or religious triumph, it, is also, it was also with a pipe organ. As some societies flourish during that time, others are suppressed or oppressed. And I think that in the 21st century, we are really ready to talk about pipe organ and its art as it is. Uh, in the same manner as the Princeton Seminary uh, has recently embraced its own um, very complicated history and relationship with slavery, without idealizing it and taking full responsibility for how it came about. So talking about pipe organ and its music cannot be disconnected from the political climate and from social environment that uh, these instruments and the music for it uh, were created in. So now, there are three reasons why I'm bringing you, me, Polish person, in bringing you the program American Diversity. First of all, most of the uh, pipe organ repertoire uh, has been dominated by music of um, Europeans, white Europeans, and also uh, really majority of them were uh, identified as male. And while this was somewhat logical for really quite a while, and it's a really long topic, so I'm not going to dive into it, um, most the music by uh, those composers was disseminated and really easily accessible. So there is some logic to it, why it happened. But continuing this trend in the 21st century, when the state of research and dissemination of music is in a completely different place, makes little sense to me. Now, 
reason number two, don't get me wrong, I do, I do love music by Bach, and I do love music by Mendelssohn, and Vidor, and Vierne, and I have played and will continue to play uh, uh, that music. But I want this recital to be a statement that creating an organ uh, uh, program of legitimate and high-quality music without including any of the aforementioned composers, composers is absolutely possible. And furthermore, it provides an opportunity to talk about what I'm talking to you right now and confront a little bit of the past and of the uh, culture of pipe organ. Thus, this program consists, and I will name that, of music by uh, African-American female, two African-American male composers, white American female, Mexican and Brazilian male. And while you might say, why do I talk about gender or race or nationality, and, well, music is just music, right? Well, no, it's not only music. Our history and current state of affairs in the world is, are the perfect example that things just do not work that way. And so it takes an effort and a conscious deliberation of making programs like this to bring it to the audience and to make sure that it's well represented and uh, performed. And reason number three, getting to the Polish part. I was born and lived in Poland, as you can probably detect from my accents, for about 30 years of my life. And Poland, by, by American standards, is a quite a homogenous country, at least was in the 20th century especially. Since then I've traveled, I lived in Germany and the Netherlands and for the last 14 years in the United States. And that experience, especially the American part, um, made me realize that being a part of the fabric uh, of American culture, well, being a part of the fabric of American culture made me understand how important experiencing and embracing diversity is. And while America and Europe have their share of racist, discriminatory, discriminatory and oppressive history to, towards so many different types of other, I believe that it's only through the experience of living next door to people who are of different origin and culture than us that we are continuously challenged, that we can confront our biases and actively practice openness. Diversity thus is a lesson in life, in being a good neighbor, a good human being, and a good Christian. So that's, that's the end of the concert. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so now, <laughs> now let's get to the music. So, and I will do throughout, the, throughout this, this recital is organized in such a way that I will play some music, but there will be also, since I've heard you sing so beautifully and so powerfully, there'll be three hymns included. So make sure you have your hymnals ready. I'll tell you what to do and when to sing, okay? But we'll start with Florence Beatrice Price. She was the first African-American female composer whose large-scale symphonic work was performed by a major American orchestra. She was born in Arkansas. She studied in New England Conservatory in Boston. And she established herself in Chicago as a well-respected Presbyterian church uh, organist, concert pianist, studio teacher, and a composer. Now, in the most recent news, and I'm sure you're going to cheer for that as much as I did when I heard it, the Philadelphia Orchestra's recording of Florence Price's first and third symphonies was awarded the Grammy. Wouldn't you be proud for her, right? I agree. The first ever, the first ever 
Grammy Award for her. And I bet she would really appreciate it, of course, if she, if she was with us. In fact, it was a little different, obviously, uh, when uh, she was growing up and when she worked uh, in the United States. Uh, so I, I will quote you that letter, which will give you a good idea. She wrote a letter to the Boston Symphony Orchestra, famous conductor, and she sent her music asking him if they could perform her music. And, and she expressed it really best of how, what, what, what the life she had as a composer. And I quote, my dear Dr. Kusevitsky, to begin with, I have two handicaps, those of sex and race. I am a woman, and I have some Negro blood in my veins. After that, she did not receive a response from Dr. Kusevitsky. So I'm going to play. <laughs> uh, so yay for Grammy. Uh, so I'm going to play um, her fantasy from suite number one, uh, interspersed with in quiet mood that does not come from the suite. And then I will finish with Toccata. And you can uh, uh, cheer for um, Price's amazing, fantastic spirit, as well as uh, just the sheer fact that the music that she produced was a music that she also performed, so she must have been a really great organist.
This is hymn number 661, and that will uh, be followed by uh, a rendition of Carl Haywood's uh, His Eye is on the Sparrow. And if you don't know of Carl Haywood, he uh, is a native of uh, Portsmouth, Virginia. He studied uh, the Southern Methodist University and University of Southern California, and uh, where he got his doctorate. And for 26 years, he served as an organist choir director at Grace Episcopal Church in Norfolk and has served on the litur liturgical commission for the Diocese of Southern Virginia, the Standing Commission on Liturgy and Music for the Episcopal Church of America, and as a director of music for the Union of Black Episcopalians. And in the time of social media, I became his, friends on, his friend on Facebook. <laughs> And of course, before learning the piece, I mean, before performing the piece after I learned it, um, I asked him what was the reason he wrote this composition, because he did dedicate um, this composition to his father. And so I will read to you, with his permission, what he responded. It was essentially one of my father's favorite songs. My mother would play it on the piano at our house, and my father, though in another room, would simply hum along smiling. It was truly his happy song. Whenever I hear it, I think of my father and the freedom or release so associated with this beautiful text. Let's sing it together first. Thank <laughs> you. 
you. And thank you, Martin, for rescuing. <laughs> um, we're going to move uh, to uh, Jose Jesus Estrada. He, um, let me find it. Um, uh, he's uh, considered one of Mexico's finest composers of organ and choral music in the 20th century. Uh, and uh, he held the post of professor of organ at the National Conservatory in Mexico City. And many of the leading organists of Mexico came under his uh, tutelage there. He composed for solo organ, several masses, and choral works, which remain to be published. Uh, procession is a procession, a saeta. Uh, saeta the, the term saeta implies a spontaneous eruption of sentiment characteristic of the singing style of flamenco music, and it is an unaccompanied, partly improvised, piercing Andalusian song of lamentation or penitence, sung during the religious procession on Good Friday. And after that, I will invite you, since it, I feel it will really nicely lead us into another hymn, um, number 440, Jesus, Lover of My Soul, uh, a beautiful, uh, perhaps one of the most personal hymns that, that uh, Charles Wesley uh, wrote. Uh, there's this tension throughout the text when you go from, from the prayer and meditation and come through the storm and turmoil, and you can feel it almost throughout the whole um, uh, th through all the verses. Uh, and then after that, I will uh, finish that section with a version, um, with, a, with a toccata actually based on um, that uh, hymn, written by Brenda Portman, who is uh, my generation organist and also a composer, who is currently a resident organist at Hyde Park Community United Methodist Church in Cincinnati in Ohio. She's a very accomplished and studied in many places in Cincinnati and Northwestern and um, in Wheaton College and um, received a lot of accolades for her, both her performance and as well as uh, compositions. And I think that she took, what she took from that uh, piece is, um, I, I, I always see that one line when I play that piece. Uh, while the nearer waters roll, while the tempest still is high, Hide me, O oh my Savior, hide till the storm of life is past. And I think that she focused on the storm and the turmoil in that piece. Um, now, I forgot to give you the uh, idea of what I had to do for uh, His Eyes on the Sparrow. I had some ideas of sopranos altos, tenors, basses, uh, but you sang so gorgeously. It was just so fantastic. But this time, I would like you to try out some parts. So maybe we'll do the old-fashioned Anglican style, uh, unison, parts, parts, unison of all verses, unison part, parts, parts, great, let's do that. So I'll start with uh, Jose Jesus Estrada and we'll go to uh, singing uh, the hymn and then Brenda Portman.
Thank you. I hope I'm making my point that this is all worth music worth playing. And so I hope that all the organists that are here and all the organists that are online, because I know there are, there are some folks watching right now, take a good, you know, get a good idea that there's so much music out there and we should all play it. Uh, okay, we have um, one piece, one hymn, one piece. <laughs> so, Heitor uh, Villalobos, a Brazilian composer. This is a fantastic uh, uh, composer, and this particular piece is a perfect example of mixing the styles. So, uh, this, this particular aria comes from a, um, it's actually a transcription of an orchestral piece. Uh, and it's, it comes from a larger cycle called Baquianas Brasileiras. And uh, as, as you might know, Villalobos is one of the probably most prolific and most well-known Brazilian composers. And Baquianas Brasileiras can be translated almost as Brazilian Baquian pieces. So Villalobos is adapting beautiful Brazilian melodies to the very strict contrapuntal forms and harmonic procedures, kind of like Bach's music. So when you listen to it, listen to the beautiful melody, which is really adorned almost like Bach's chorales with this very intricate, meticulously composed accompaniment that my left hand is trying to accomplish. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of voices going on in, and only, only just five fingers in the left hand. I sometimes w would love to be an octopus. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and then after that we are going to, I will invite you to hymn, to, to sing the hymn Lift Every Voice and Sing, which is probably, it's just a piece with, hymn with such power and such tradition and history to it. I think, I think you all know it, it's a long one and it's a charged one, but it is called a, a black uh, national um, hymn. Uh, Mark Miller, who wrote a, a really brilliant toccata on, on Lift Every Voice and Sing. And I, I, I'll tell you that since I learned that piece, I, I, I play it on all possible occasions, on Juneteenth and MLK Sunday, I just every time. And, and, and our congregation sings Lift Every Voice and Sing very powerfully, so it's, it's just the perfect way to end a, a service and hopefully as well as this concert today. So Mark Miller, it, it works kind of close by here. Uh, he, is, uh, he studied at Yale and at Juilliard. He has been a part of Yale um, Institute of Sacred Music for a while. He works um, at the Drew University, which is just up north from here. And he is a minister of music of Christ Church in Summit, uh, New Jersey. Um, I like, uh, there is a quote on his website that I got, which is just kind of exciting. He, he says, he believes that everyone is a child of God and that music is instrumental in healing the world. And then he also adheres to Cornel West's belief that justice is what love looks like in public. <laughs> 